0: chapter 19 verse 11 this is what the Word of God has to say. As they heard these things he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said therefore a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minutes and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minnas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a little, uh, in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second, one, the second came, saying, Lord, your minna made five minnas. And he said to him, You are to be, um, you are to be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your minna And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the menna from him and give it to the one who has ten mennas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten mennas. And I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has, who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them. Before me. So, this parable in, in its context immediately follows Luke's reporting of the salvation of Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you may remember the, the song that you sang, uh, Zacchaeus, about going up in a sycamore tree. So, that's, the, that's the, what Luke has just reported. And Jesus has made clear that he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, Luke also tells us that, um, that there was an underpinning of expectation here that there were some that were believing that Jesus was going to bring about the kingdom of God, of which he had promised immediately. In fact, he's moving toward Jerusalem. And so many of them thought this is the moment. As he moves toward Jerusalem, he's about to bring about the kingdom of of heaven. But that's not what Jesus was teaching. In fact, he was teaching that um, the kingdom of heaven would, would not come immediately. Uh, but would be but would be delayed. And so he's laying out a parable that teaches what faithful servants are to do in the interim period. Now, to understand this parable, I think it's helpful to understand what a minna is, the, the historical context that's, that's sort of the underpinning here, and who is represented in the parable. So I want to work through those real quick before we dive into the text. First of all, a minna is equal to about three months Wages to help help us understand what that might mean for us. I, I just looked up. I googled the the U.S. Census data for Ware County, and the medium income household income for Ware County is thirty eight thirty six thousand eight hundred and. $68, so you take that and you divide that by 12 and then multiply that by, by three and you get somewhere around a little over $9,000. So think about a manna being menna about $9,000. About $9,217 $9, would be the medium for Ware County here. And as Jesus is setting up this parable, he, he says, he, when he begins the parable, he, he gives this unique sort of uh, setup for it. He says, a nobleman went to receive his kingdom, and you get this reference to uh, the citizens who didn't like it, and then later you get the, at the very end of the, of the parable you get uh, the re- response of the nobleman to take him to slaughter the uh, those who opposed him. Now, you and I, that probably doesn't ring any bells with us, but to those who were listening to it originally, they would have put that uh, almost immediately in a political context they very much understood. Um. You see that uh, you may remember the, the, the word Herod or Herod the Great, uh, whose reference in Scripture when he died, uh, his sons took over uh, the, the, the kingdom. And one of his sons, who had been particularly difficult and harsh on Israel and on the Jews, wanted to be named king over Israel, like his father. Now remember, Rome was an occupying force, and so he went to Rome and asked to be made king. But when he went to Rome to be asked to be king, a delegation of Jewish leaders went too, and they begged Rome not to make him king, in part because of the harsh mistreatment that he had been imposing upon them. He wasn't made king. He was made something more like a governor, and that's what would rule this area all the way through. That's why when you get to, uh, to, the, uh, to the end of Jesus' life, his crucifixion and his resurrection, we have a governor named Pilate. that's why because of all this this history so those who are hearing this would have put this in a political context almost immediately but jesus in the parable turns all of that upside down now this is not the same parable as the parable of talents here i think what jesus is doing is distinguishing between three types of people the ten servants represent those who profess to serve christ but not all who profess to serve Christ are true followers and servants. And so in this parable, I think there are three types of people represented. Here they are. First, you have the faithful followers. Those would be represented by the first two servants who took the minna and then had a return. Second would be false followers. And that would be that third servant who comes and did absolutely nothing with the with the, with the money of the nobleman. And then you have a third group that's in the, very much in the, in the parable, though we're not gonna give as much attention to it today, and that is the enemies of Christ. Those would be the, in, in the context of the parable, those who sent the delegation asking that they didn't want the, uh, the nobleman to, to, to reign, and those are the ones who are slaughtered in the end of the parable. I'm going to take the, the, these first two groups and give the majority of my attention to them today. Because what, where I think that the force of this passage for us this morning is, is determining where we are. Are we faithful servants of the king? Are we true servants of the king? Or are we false, fake servants of the king? And with that in mind, here are these three areas that I'm going to to, to divide our time today and then we'll walk through them. Number one, you and I are to be about the Father's will. That is a defining characteristic of those who are true followers of Christ, being about the Father's will. Secondly, I want to encourage you this morning, regardless of what your life produces and regardless of what you might do between the time you came to know Jesus and the day that Jesus calls you home, what pleases the Lord is not what you accomplish According to the success rate of men, what pleases the Lord is faithfulness. And we're going to make a case today that faithfulness pleases God. And then I'm going to come back to this end of sort of exposing what is, what is false and what a false servant looks like. But let's begin with being about the Father's will I see that most clearly in verses 12 and 13. In fact, in 12 and 13, we get the command uh, that, that I, I'm, I'm basing this on. So in verse 12, it says, uh, He said, Therefore, a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And here's the command. Verse 13, Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minutes and said to them, Engage in business until I come. That's the, that's the, the, the commissioning of his servants. Dear friends, true servants of the king, true followers of Jesus must constantly be about the Father's will. You and I have a purpose and a task. Many thought that Jesus was going to bring about an immediate rebellion and overthrow of the Roman occupiers of Israel. In fact, it's not the only reason but, but I think many would turn away from Jesus when they realized that he wasn't going to accomplish their desired political goals. I think when you look at the crucifixion scene of Jesus, when you look at how quickly the crowd turned against Jesus, it always baffles me how he, he comes into Jerusalem, a celebrated uh, a person, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in one week, we go from that to that it's those same people crying, crucify him, crucify him. And it's not the only reason, but I think one of the reasons that, that changes the hearts of so many people is when they realize Jesus isn't going to do what they wanted him to do politically, they turn their hearts and lives away from him many thought that's what Jesus was going to do he's going toward Jerusalem to bring about a political change in this parable Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God was not going to appear immediately we know that Jesus was in that moment not preparing to establish an earthly kingdom but was working toward establishing the perfect eternal spiritual kingdom of God He was not preparing to defeat the Romans, but preparing to defeat sin. Amen to that. He was not working to free Israel from their occupiers, but he was preparing to set free sinners from the enslavement of their sin. Amen to that. Teaching that the kingdom would not come immediately, he teaches what faithful servants are to do in this interim period. Now, here's the point. This Time is not a time of idleness or wasting of time. In other words, when we come to know Jesus, that's not a moment where we go, praise God, I've got my fire insurance. Now I'm just going to mark time until Jesus comes back. No. We have a purpose and a task, and it's articulated in verse 13. So Jesus says in the parable, the nobleman's leaving, and he leaves with his servants, his wealth. And he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. You engage in business. You take my wealth and you do my bidding, my work while I'm gone, so that my will carries on in my absence. This is a command to be about the will and the work of the nobleman until he returns. And I think from the perspective of eternity, our lives are very short. We have a very brief opportunity to serve the Lord, but from our perspective, sometimes it seems as though the Lord's return is a far, far thing away. Do you remember some of you? Because I know all of you were young, it's just some of us don't remember it. Do you remember when you were little bitty how far off Christmas seemed to be? Do you remember that? Do you remember how it seemed like birthdays never would come? Now, some of y'all are kind of quiet. This next one, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get an amen on. Do birthdays not come really quick now? Some of you, they're coming really quick, aren't they? Does it not feel like now that as soon as we put up the Christmas lights for Christmas, it's time to pull them back out again? Now, here's what, there's the truth. The calendar and the time of days is not going any faster than what it was when we were five years old. What has changed is we have a very different perspective. A 55 year old has a different perspective of, of 12 months than a five year old. I think from the view, I know from the view of heaven, our lives, in fact, the Bible says, is but a mist. Your opportunity to serve the Lord, to to live for Jesus is but a moment in the in the brief expanse of eternity. But from where you and I are sitting right now, it seems like Jesus coming back is a long time, and our service of the Lord is a long time. But listen, friends, it doesn't matter if Jesus returns today or if he returns in a thousand years. You and I are called until he returns with every breath, with every heartbeat to engage in the business of our God. In the context of the parable, the nobleman doesn't say, listen, I want you to engage in business for six months. He doesn't say, I want you to engage in business uh, for a year and a half. In fact, he gives no limit to that, and he doesn't even give information about when he's going to return. Here's the simple command. You engage in my business until what? I return. In other words, it's an open-ended command. And, dear friends, I think for you and I, you and I are to be about the Father's business. We have a purpose and a task, and we are to be about the Father's business until he returns. And here is a simpler point even than that. The opportunity to do that is now. The opportunity to be obedient to this command is right now. You cannot do anything about yesterday. If you've not been obedient to Jesus up until this moment, that may be a sad reality for you, but you can't do anything about it. And dear friends, I cannot promise you tomorrow, none of us can. Jesus may come back. You may not live tomorrow. All we have is the present. The opportunity to obey is now. This is a command to be about the will and the work of the nobleman until he comes. It is a present command, a current command. From the perspective of eternity, our lives are very short, and we have a brief opportunity to serve the Lord. But from our perspective, it sometimes seems as though the Lord's return may be far off. But, dear friends, regardless of that, you and I have this moment to serve the Lord. All too often we lose sight of our purpose, when, and when we do, we diverge from our task and our calling, when we get busy with worldly things and worldly pursuits, not necessarily wicked things, but worldly endeavors and worldly pursuits, we end up giving our best attention, our best effort, our best labor to these things, to the neglect of the things of the Lord. Dear friends, there is only so much that you can give your attention to. There's only so much you can give your energy to. There's only so much you can give your time to. And if you fill those things up with worldly pursuits, you crowd out being about the Lord's pursuits. Dear brother and dear sister, the only opportunity you have is the opportunity of now. Serve the Lord with obedience and gladness until the Lord calls you home. Be about the Father's will. Secondly, faithfulness pleases the Lord. Now, there are moments in my pastoral ministry when sometimes I have to preach to myself. And this is is one of those moments where I have had to preach this to myself for all week and even beyond that. I want you to hear it. Faithfulness pleases the Lord. God is pleased by faithfulness to the charge, not the outcome of the investment. Look at how he responds to the first two servants. So in verse 15 it says... When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to, to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your menna has made 10 minas. That's, that's great, tenfold. And, and rightly so. In verse 17, and he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. But here's where we see the, the heart of the nobleman, verse 18. And the second one came. second came, saying, Lord, your menna has made five minutes. Remember, they both received the same. They have, he has, the second one has half the benefit of the first. But what, does the, what, the nobleman, what does the nobleman say in verse 19? And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. In other words, as equally rejoicing over him as the first. Friends, God is pleased by faithfulness to the charge, not the outcome of the investment. The investment was the same for each servant. They got about three months of salary. The outcome was significantly different between these servants. The first had a tenfold return. The second had a fivefold return. And it's interesting, even with the the wicked false servant, part of the, the nobleman's frustration is if you'd have just put it in the bank Now listen, if you don't know anything about finance I'll give you a small bit of Ben Smith knowledge on finance And this is about all I know If you're hoping to get rich on the interest you're making off your checking account You're never going to get there Now they're going to pay you something Maybe enough to take your family out to dinner at the end of the year But you're not going to make a lot of money off the interest you have in your checking account You with me? But the the nobleman said, if you just put it in the bank, you'd have something to show for it. And I think the understanding there is even that would have pleased the nobleman, that at least there was a sense of trying to do something with it, but you did nothing with it. The truth is, what pleases the Lord is the faithfulness of his servants to be about his will. Now, the the reality, listen to me, friends, the reality is that every follower of Jesus will have different levels of success in the kingdom. Some will be well known for their great accomplishments for Jesus, and some will labor for the Lord their entire life in obscurity. Some will labor and almost it, without effort, just success comes their way. And there'll be others who labor intensely, and yet at the end of their days have almost nothing to show for what they've done. You and I, we tend to look at the outcome and judge the worth of the labor by what it produces. Listen, I've got friends of mine in ministry who could come up here this morning and the joke is they could read the phone book to you and 15 people would get saved. Don't you know I'm a little envious of them sometimes? Oh, Lord, why don't you bless my ministry like you bless theirs? There are others, and you know them, that will, that will they just seem like wherever they go, success follows. And yet, dear friends, there are a whole lot more whom we'll never know their name that have equally labored, have equally been faithful, and success has not been near as great as others. But here is the good word. God looks at the faithful heart of his servant and judges them as a good servant. Notice the overwhelmingly disproportionate response of blessing the, slave, the, the servants the, uh, of, of, that, had, that had produced um, an, uh, an income. So three months of salary. So what do we say? That's about... $9,000. So a little over $9,000. The, the, and the nobleman gives to his uh, servant. And so uh, $9,000. And, and he, he has tenfold of that. That's good money, but that's not like change the world money. Are you with me? And what does the nobleman say? Listen, because you've done that, I'm going to make you essentially a king, a co-regent over 10 cities. That's way more disproportionate from what he actually did. I mean, you might think, man, that's great. I'm going to just going to add a little bit more to you and you invest in that. But no, he makes him almost like a, a vice-regent. Same thing with the one who had five. He gets five cities. And, and the point there is that, 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 that the pleasure of the nobleman was not necessarily in how much they produced. It was in their faithfulness to be about what they were called to do. Friends, you and I, have very little control over the outcome or success of our labor. But you and I do have an opportunity to please the Lord with faithfulness. I cannot guarantee you that if you serve the Lord, that at the end of your days, you'll have anything to show for it. And by the way, if that's true for you, you'd be in good company. You read some of the prophets of the Old Testament, and the outcome of their ministry was not very grand but their faithfulness was. And it's why they're in our scriptures today. You see, friends, it's an issue of the heart. As so many things are in our walk with Jesus, this is an issue of the heart. Faithfulness testifies to who you love and who you trust. Obedience testifies to who you believe and who you fear. Understanding this as a heart issue is important. You see, legalist, the legalistic effort cannot please the Lord. Even worldly success pretending to be service to the Lord cannot please the Lord. I think, I think, I know because scripture tells us so that there will be some on the day of judgment that will take their worldly efforts and they'll put them before the Lord and go, aren't you impressed with this? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because they were trying to please the Lord in their efforts but not with their heart. When your heart is right towards God, so will your faithfulness be. And when you faithfully serve the Lord out of a heart that loves the Lord, you will. You will please the Lord. Now, there's one other thing I want you to see here, and that is that disobedience reveals falsehood. Now, I said at the beginning, it's important for us to understand where we sit on this this scale. Are we faithful servants or are we false servants? And there's two things under disobedience revealing falsehoods that I want you to see. And the first is there is such a thing as false service. False service. So the sad reality is that when, that the, nobleman, when, when, when the nobleman left his servants, they all looked like they were faithful servants. If he had known that one of them was a wicked servant, he would have fired him right he would have given him a minute but he calls his ten servants he gives them equal amounts and he goes go be about my business so at the beginning of the parable all ten servants look like they are on the equal plane there's a lot of reasons for false service maybe for personal advancement maybe a perceived advantage for being in the proximity of the nobleman we could even imagine that some thought when he received his kingdom they might be able to, to rule with him in some way the false nature of the third servant was revealed by their false service. When the opportunity came to serve the nobleman, he pursued his own agenda rather than the nobleman's agenda. And you can see this in the, response, the different responses of the servant. So it's interesting when you look at the response of the good servants, notice how they talk about the menace. So they don't say, man, you ought to be impressed with me because I did something great with your money. I I invested well. No, they said, your mina has made. In other words, your wealth and the economy that you have given us has produced more. They're giving the credit to the nobleman even for the advancement of what they have done. But the wicked servant blames the nobleman, even accusing him of being unfair. Listen, I didn't do anything because I knew you were a terrible person to work for. That's what he's saying. By the way, just as a side note, if you're in trouble, don't ever start with an accusation. It never works out well. But that's what he does. Listen, I did nothing because you're a terrible person to work for. You asked for it. In other words, you're, you're unfair. You take what's not yours. That's what the wicked servant was saying. The righteous servants knew the nobleman and what he would have them do with his wealth. The wicked servant neither knew nor cared about the nobleman's will. Now listen carefully here. Obedience to the Lord's will separates true from the false servants. Now, I know my audience. This is summertime. There's a lot of places you could be, but you're in church this morning, and I'm glad you are. What separates us, what, what divides the true servants from the false servants is obedience. Are you walking obediently to the purpose and the task that God has given us. Are you serving God in truth, or are you a false servant? And the difference there is obedience to the commands of God. Now, there's a second thing here, and I would put this under the context of false concern. So the wicked servant says that he did nothing more than wrap the the money in a cloth. Now, the idea here is that he did nothing other than I mean, the, My mind, mind's eye here is that he wrapped it up and stuck it in a drawer and forgot about it. That's what's trying to be communicated. The, the, the wrapping in a handkerchief idea is not that he was trying to protect it or doing something honoring with it. He basically just said thanks, wrapped it up, stuck it in his pocket. Maybe when he got home that night, stuck it in his underwear drawer and never thought about it again. He had no concern for the nobleman. He was only concerned for himself. Now, dear friends, are you concerned, listen to me, Are you concerned today for the things of God? What have you done with the gift of the gospel? Listen, everyone in this room has received the gift of the gospel. You know that there is saving grace in Jesus alone. You know that there is hope in the word of God. What are you doing with that great gift of the gospel? How have you invested the grace that God has shown to you? I don't know your story, but I know this, that until this moment God has preserved your life and allowed you to hear the gospel preached. What have you done with that great gift of grace in your life? And what will you have to show for the opportunity that God has given you? Some of you, this may sound so this may sound too harsh but some of you like the wicked servant have taken those good gifts of god those investments into your life wrapped them up in a handkerchief stuck them in your pocket and you have not thought about them again the righteous servants desired to do well with the master's wealth the wicked servant gave no thought or concern to what would bless the master Friends, a heart that desires the will of God separates the true from the false servants. True servants have a heartbeat to do the will of God. False servants could care less. You see, being a faithful servant really has nothing to do with what you accomplish. It has everything to do with faithful obedience. I want to tell you about International Mission Board missionary that I'm pretty confident none of you will know her name. Karen Watson. She joined the Southern Baptist International Mission Board in 2003 and she was assigned to Iraq. She's going to serve as a humanitarian aid coordinator. She went in 2003 and just a year later, just a little over a year later on March the 15th, 2004, she was investigating a, a site for future humani- humanitarian relief efforts with four other aid colleagues when, when they died from the implos- or the explosion of a rocket-propelled grenade and gunfire. Just Barely over a year of service, she dies on the field. Prior to leaving for Iraq, she wrote a letter and gave it to her pastor with these instructions. Don't open it unless I die. I wanna read you her letter. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, You should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place, I was called to him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected, his glory my reward and his glory my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I'm writing this as if I'm still working with my people group. I thank you all so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. In regards to any service, funeral service that is. Keep it small and simple. Yes, simple. Just just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel give glory and honor to our Father. The missionary heart is to come care more than some think is wise to risk more than some think is safe to dream more than some think is practical expect more than some think is possible and she closed with these words i was not called to comfort or success but to obedience there is no joy outside of knowing jesus and serving him i love you too and my church family in his care Karen now here's the truth in one year of service Karen did not accomplish anything of great consequence for the church in Iraq or even things that we can point to and go isn't that amazing what she was able to do in one year of service There's nothing about Karen's ministry and work there in Iraq that we can say, man, she had tremendous success in what she was doing. But friends, I'm pretty confident that when that that grenade launched beside her and those bullets pierced her and she breathed her last and stood in the presence of the Lord, I'm pretty confident that she was well received by her master not according to what she accomplished, but according to her faithfulness. That she obeyed the Lord and served him with a whole heart. Do I want success? Yes. Do I want you to do great things for the kingdom? Yes. But friends, I'm telling you, everything this side of heaven passes away. The only thing that lasts forever is the word of God. heartbeat must be not to do things that men are impressed with. Our heartbeat must, to do, must be about doing the things that God is impressed with. What impressed the nobleman, what Jesus was trying to teach in, to us that impresses God is not what we do, it is who we love. It is our faithfulness to the, to the call, not the outcome of our effort. Let God worry about the outcome of your effort. You worry about taking up the opportunity today to be faithful to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has invested in you the gospel of Jesus Christ.